Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today, we discuss about monetization, how you can monetize your projects to get more sales results. Because, you know, if you have traffic and you can't sell, this traffic is useless. So I'm so excited to discuss the topic with John Katowski. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me, Anatoly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I love learning from experts who have practical experience. Before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about monetization in sales funnel. Yeah, for sure. So I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, so uh, over the last um, over the last decade, uh, over the last 10 years or so, uh, I helped scale three companies as head of product. So I worked as head of product uh, for three different companies. Uh, two of those companies were VC backed, one was bootstrapped, uh, you know, two of them got acquired uh, for a total of over 140 million. One of them raised 50 million in VC capital. Um, but each time each time I led a product team um, at, at those organizations, uh, I saw the same challenge. Um, and the challenge was that the product teams were too disconnected from revenue. Uh, so again, like product teams would uh, deliver these great products, uh, a lot of value through features. Uh, but again, there was a huge disconnect between uh, the product team initiatives and the revenue uh, that those um, those products were making. And then in 2019, I joined Format. Uh, so Format was one of those three companies. And at Format, uh, there was no sales team. Uh, so there was no sales team. And, and the CEO is like, hey, John, as head of product, now you're not only responsible for building products, but you're also responsible for revenue. Um, and it really forced me and my team to be very thoughtful about not um, not only building value for users, but also thinking through monetization. How do we actually convert that value that we deliver to users into revenue? And the results were phenomenal. Uh, we got so good at um, understanding how to grow revenue through our product initiatives that we could literally forecast um, MRR, our revenue growth, uh, almost 12 months in advance with like 90% accuracy. We got really, really good at this. And then Format um, sold in uh, 2021, uh, November 2021. And that's when I decided to um, work for myself. And that's when I started Byerson. Um, and through Byerson, I really want to help um, other SaaS founders and their teams um, connect the dots between value and revenue. Uh, so that's when Byerson was born. It's almost a year old. Uh, and just quickly about Byerson. So Byerson is a consulting and research um, uh, company. Uh, we work with... Uh, SaaS companies between 5 million to 25 million in ARR. Uh, and we help them with pricing and packaging, PLG, uh, product like growth uh, implementations. Uh, and we, we pre predominantly work with their product teams. Nice, nice. Love your experience. And, you know, I like how you can share the stories. Uh, can you tell how it's important uh, to create storytelling style uh, in sales funnel because I often see when, you know, uh, many companies, new companies, they usually submit features that have uh, high quality products, but it's hard to sell without sharing stories. Uh, for example, I remember when Tim Cook from Apple, uh, yeah, when he showed new Apple Watch, after that, I bought three pairs, you know, for me, for my son, for my wife, because I can't buy just one. You know, they probably kill me, you know, if I buy just for me. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. He shared three stories how this Apple Watch can help others, you know. Uh, I don't remember exactly the stories, but um, uh, the main reason of that was to show how it can simplify your life, decide your problems, uh, 
can it and you know uh, you started from sharing your story can you tell about importance of sh- uh, storytelling style uh, in sales funnel yeah so i mean <clears throat> anytime you're you know you, you're selling a product you really have to connect um to to both the users as well as the buyers um so what you really want to do is understand their pain points uh, i think that's that's really so sort of like the fun- foundation of good monetization is, is you have to develop good buyer personas or user personas and you really have to understand so like what what are the pain points that you're helping them deal with and what is the value uh, that your that your product or your offering is um, is um, delivering to them and how how is it helping them with those pain points and you know I, I think the best way to articulate uh, so like how, you know, like your product or your offering is um, uh, delivering value and solve, solving those, those pain points is through stories. So good, good storytellers. So like, again, incorporate those elements into their stories uh, to say, okay, you know, like this Apple watch can help you, uh, you know, like in, in a dangerous situation, because again, like if you're, if you have a heart attack, it will detect it. It will send a signal to, you know, call 911 for you and it could potentially uh uh, you know, save your life. It's it's a much better story, or it's a much more compelling value prop than saying, "Hey, you know, this this watch has this much battery life, or you know, like it has so many gigabytes." So again, like good product, and this is where you know, like good product marketers will uh, will understand both the pain points and the value props, and again, like convert that into good messaging that really, really resonates with with the target audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh- Let's uh, talk about creating a buying persona because you mentioned a few times about buying persona and we have interesting quote in marketing. If you sell to anyone, you sell to no one. <laughs> so can you tell how to create a buying persona, uh, how to get this data about buying persona and unite with unique selling proposition? Because I, I see when, you know, many websites, uh, projects, they usually check out competitors, but competitors might have their strong sides, uh, own unique selling proposition. Uh, so it, it's not related, even if you sell the same products. Can you tell more about buying persona? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I love this topic. Um, <clears throat> and before I even get started, um, I think one thing I want to recognize is that right now, uh, you know, like a lot of SaaS companies um, sell to, uh, to, uh, to clients where the user persona and the buyer persona may not be the same. Uh, so for instance, you know, like Slack, uh, I'll use Slack as an example. So the users of Slack are people, you know, who are, you know, on the ground using Slack uh, to communicate, but they may not necessarily be uh, the buyer. Uh, the buyer might be somebody in the IT department. So so in some cases, uh, they are the same. Uh, so user and the buyer might be the same. At Format, in fact, uh, so Format, uh, my last company uh, catered to photographers and the buyer and the user uh, were the same persona. So I just wanted to acknowledge that when we talk about buyer personas, we often refer to the person who's actually making the purchase or has the purchasing uh, power. Uh, but again, like in situations where the user and the buyer is different, you have to actually consider both. Now, in order to actually develop good buyer personas, the best practice is to um, to interview your customers. And this is assuming you've already found your product market fit. Uh, so again, like once you're, uh, you, you know, once you're past that stage where you have enough customers, where you, you have clear product market fit, um, we always recommend starting with uh, customer interviews. Uh, so uh, we, you know, like typically you want to get at least eight, somewhere between eight to 10, depending on, you know, like if your product has 
a number of diverse use cases catering to uh, diverse number or set of audiences, you may want to increase that number, but usually between eight and 10, you, you can sort of like um, triangulate uh, the pain points and the value prop. So we always start with interviews um, and interviews, you know, tend to be around 45 minutes uh, long. And this is where we do a lot of discovery uh, to really understand um, so sort of like what prompted them uh, to look for a product, uh, whoever uh, whoever's product it is, uh, which usually helps us uncover the pain points. Like, what is it? What is it that they're trying to solve? Why were they seeking out uh, the product uh, for of that company? And then uh, subsequently, we also sort of like start drilling down. Okay, so now, uh, how did this product or how did this solution help you solve this pain point? So th those are sort of like the two most important things you want to you want to uh, discover is uh, pain points and value props. Now. During those interviews, we often sort of like stumble up on uh, competitive or alternative solutions. So if you didn't have this product, what else would you use? Um, and it could be, you know, a direct competitor or it could be, you know, like using a sales spreadsheet or using Google Sheets to sol solve the problem. So sometimes there's alternatives. <clears throat> so once you um, uncover those pain points and those value props and alternatives, uh, those are sort of like that's the foundation for your buyer personas. Then uh, what you can do is then you can start overlaying it with uh, data. Um, and th there's two sets of data. One is sort of like internal usage data. Uh, so you go through your, um, through your product um, and you sort, of like, you sort of start triangulating, you know, people who uh, answered uh, these questions during interviews that had these unique pain points, you know, what are their data attributes? So like what companies do they work for? What, what kind of usage do they log in every day? Do they walk, uh, log in weekly? How big are the teams? So you can start adding attributes, which is um, really helpful for both marketing and sales team, sales teams. Because when they want to go and uh, go after and find more customers like that, again, like they need that information. It's like, you know, where do they, where do they work? What, what kind of companies? Uh, so you start overlaying internal data. And then on top of that, if, you, um, if you're looking at changing your monetization, your pricing or packaging, um, we recommend, you know, doing things like uh, max diff for feature preferences. So max diff is a type of survey where you ask uh, your customers or, or prospects uh, about their feature preferences. Uh, so which ones do they care most about? Do they care about reporting? Do they care about API? Do, uh, APIs, do they care about SOC compliance uh, or, you know, like uh, multi-factor authentication? So once you start getting those feature preferences, again, you start attributing those to the personas. So now you have a clear picture what, for each persona. What is their pain point? What is the value prop? What features do they value the most? And what are their uh, uh, quantitative um, uh, attributes. So again, like what, what, what data, what does the data tell you? And um, if you, again, like if your aim is to adjust pricing and packaging, you can then further overlay that with what we call willingness to pay uh, surveys mm -hmm. uh, or studies where you start uh, gauging, you know, like what, what should be the right price point. And there's a lot of considerations that goes into that because mm -hmm. it depends whether you're asking existing customers or or non-customers whether you're asking about existing feature set or future feature set because i can tell you nobody will tell you you know they want to pay more <laughs> for what what they are already uh, paying for right so, so you have to be really careful but those are some like the the main factors uh, for building out buyer personas um, and then you know like once you have buyer personas I, I think they're super super critical for every software organization because 
really you, you want to align your product team, your marketing team, your sales team, your supporting around these buyer personas. So, you know, as the product team is planning the product roadmap, they know who they're building for. Uh, you know, are they building for, you know, like the the, uh, the premium persona or are they building for an agency or are they building for sort of like an enterprise brand? Uh, you know, same with marketing, you know, like adjusting their messaging and positioning accordingly, making sure the website, all, everything through the funnel uh, is, is is aligned to those personas. And this sales team as well, you know, how they organize themselves, uh, what portion or which personas are going through, you know, potentially PLG funnel. So which ones are going through the freemium or free trial versus at what point do, do you want to get uh, your direct sales team uh, involved? <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So valuable. Okay. Uh, what about new projects, uh, new products? For example, if uh, companies created new high quality products, uh, how to uh, analyze pain points of customers and satisfy their intent? Yeah. So, so I'll speak to that in two parts. So, you know, like if we're talking about uh, adding new features um, uh, to an existing product, in a way it's, it's a little bit easier because then you, you know, we can assume you already have an existing product, so you have an existing set mm -hmm. of users and customers. So you, you basically uh, you, you you do that through a standard product management and research practices. So you know you, you talk to your customers, you analyze data, you talk to your support sales team, uh, so you uncover pain points. Uh, but again, like what's important is you want to tie those back to those buyer personas. So you, you um, as you're planning any big or uh, so like marquee feature release. Um, you identify which ones are going to be the money makers versus which ones are going to be sort of like going out to everybody just to support the quality of the product. So one example is, you know, like fixing bugs or adding, you know, small enhancements that will make everybody's life easier. That's not something you necessarily want to monetize. Right? That's sort of like, sort of like you added to maintain the quality of the platform or the product. But, you know, like at format, like I mentioned, you know, I was responsible for driving revenue. So I had to, you know, like every quarter, I'm like, okay, which feature or which new product, you know, will actually help me grow revenue. Uh, so in those cases, you really, really want to sort of like think through how is this going to be monetized? You know, are you changing the plans? Uh, so are you adding a new plan or are, are you, uh, you know, going to bundle this as an add-on so somebody can purchase a plan and then, you know, uh, add video uh, as an add-on? How are you going to meter it? So you know, I'll use video as an example. Are you going to be pricing it per minute uh, or, you know, is it per gigabyte or is it, you know, per number of viewers? So there's a lot of considerations as a, you know, like what I learned that format, it's usually good to plan those features at least two, two quarters ahead uh, because you want to work with your marketing and the sales team and everybody just to make sure everything is aligned. You, you've got to consider your billing system, et cetera. Now, uh, you mm -hmm. also asked about new products. So, you know, what, what's happening when you're launching new products? Um, it, I, I guess I would break it down into two use cases. One is if you're a brand new company, brand, launching a brand new product, you have no customers, no nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't really have product market fit at that point. So at that point, you really just, uh, you know, like you're, you're, you release something. And I wouldn't necessarily say you want to focus on monetization at first because at first you really just want growth like you just want to prove product market fit so from the pricing perspective you know like one of the easiest things to do is you you, you get it out there and you put a you know some price on it maybe it's you know close to what the competitor is charging and see if somebody will buy at that price and if if they if they do you know like for the next customer you, you can actually increase the price and see if, if they buy at that price so that's one way to test pricing uh, or if, or 
you know, if it's too expensive, you can uh, you can discount it or, or lower the price. <laughs> so that's how you can do it for brand new products where you have no historical data. If it's a second or, you know, like if you're adding products to your existing portfolio and you're cross-selling to your existing customer base. So again, like if you have, we actually did this at Format. We had one uh, flagship product and we developed a second product because we wanted to cross-sell to existing customers. We, we knew the pain points through our research because we tapped into our existing user base. So we, we interviewed them. We, we did continuous discovery. Every week we got on calls with photographers. We talked to them uh, basically about uh, what they do, how, how they address their um, sort of like current pain points. You know, it was during COVID. Uh, so like how COVID was affecting. So we uncovered a lot through, through interviews and through research. And then from the pricing perspective, again, like um, because it, it was a little bit... Um, or we already had an existing uh, customer base, that's when you can start um, running um, willingness to pay surveys. So, you know, like, and this is actually a little bit easier because this is not something that current customers have. So uh, you can literally uh, go back to your customers and say, you know, like, if you had this product, what, what would it be worth to you? And there's a couple of, so like uh, key tools that we use in, in pricing studies. One is called um, Van Vestendorp, where you ask four questions, you sort of like ask, what would be too expensive? What would be, feel right? Uh, too, too little, or you know, too little, so the quality doesn't sound good. And then you uh, you mapped or you you chart those. Uh, the other one is a, a tool called Garber Garber Granger, where you show somebody uh, describe the feature set, or you you um, show them the product, and you say, you know, would it be worth to you uh, for twenty dollars? And if they say yes, you, you show them another price. Would it be worth at twenty five dollars, etc.? And you keep going up until they say you can't. So you can. Kind of detect um, what is the right price uh, for that persona, but again, like you, you have to keep in mind who are you interviewing. So, are you interviewing people who fall into sort of like the entry level or the sort of like the, the more premium persona? Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it, love it. Okay, let's talk about uh, uh, leading uh, customers from uh, the bottom funnel to top funnel. Yeah, because uh, the main goal we wanna sell. So, if we mm -hmm. provide value, share value, help them, support them, but how to lead them in the next uh, stage of sales funnel? Because, uh, yeah, just to the final goal. So, from the funnel perspective, again, like <coughs> um, I've I've worked at uh, both, um, so like large enterprise and mm -hmm. uh, uh, so like uh, PLG. So a format which was my last uh, company as head of product. Uh, we had, you know, over, over 40,000 customers. Um, and so that was really a numbers game in the larger companies, uh, companies like Tulip, you know, we, we only had a dozen customers. Uh, so everything was direct sales. So I'll use format because I, I think it's more relevant in this case. So our funnel was, you know, like driving traffic to the website, uh, free trial for 14 days, and then uh, actually uh, converting them uh, within, within uh, you know, like after the trial. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, like from, from, there's a lot of sort of like talk about funnels versus loops, uh, you know, like ideally, you know, like the traditional funnel is, you know, get lots of, uh, site traffic. So lots of people visiting your site, uh, and then, you know, then you have multiple steps. So like from a site visit, uh, to entering the trial. So you, you want to sort of like optimize that conversion between site visit to, 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 uh, trial. And then, uh, within trial, you want to hit, um, get them to hit certain uh, key events uh, to make sure that they see value in during the trial from the product. And then uh, hopefully after they've activated and engaged with the product, they'll enter their credit card and actually um, actually uh, convert and end up paying you. 
so from from that perspective again like you really want to optimize every step but you know there's a lot of talk about growth loops lately opposed to funnels and i i think again like that's one one of the our lessons was you know like funnels are great you can optimize every step in the funnel to again like uh, along the way um but it's even better if you can create a growth loop so at format we had this one little hack where um uh, format was basically a website publisher. So you, as a photographer, you could display your online portfolio on a website, similar to Squarespace or Wix, but again, it was just focused on creatives. So one of the hacks that we had was um, uh, on the lower tier plans, uh, we placed our logo at the bottom of the website, which was made by format. So every time a customer signed up and they would, would sign up and publish a website, uh, they would actually publish a website with our logo uh, at the bottom of the screen. And that actually, you know, like drove traffic back to the site. Uh, so that way we got more, more visitors and, uh, you know, certain portion of them, again, entered the trial and certain portion of them activated and converted to paying users. So from, from the final point, point of view, again, like it's usually, you know, like pretty standard, especially with PLG, sort of like optimize it along each, each step uh, to make sure you get good conversion rates. Um, and then, you know, but again, like I think the future, especially in PLG is about creating those loops where, again, like you can... The product is helping you bring more traffic or more more trials uh, back to the to the site. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it, love it. Uh, let's talk about call to action. Uh, for example, no, how to find the balance between strong call to action and uh, overselling? Because you know, uh, sometimes I open landing pages and see buy it, uh, order it, uh, something that can provoke the feeling to buy, but uh, it's annoying. So, uh, but uh, I often see landing pages without strong call to action. Just you know, small button. I can't find it. It's it's hard to click for for this button. Can you tell how to find this balance? Yeah, and what type of message to submit to call to action that will provide? The reason to buy products. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, I remember we we often had a lot of healthy friction at at, at format with um uh, with our CEO. So our CEO always pushed us to be very salesy, uh, and yeah. my team, my product team, was all about you know like good user experience and brand. So we, I called it healthy friction because again, like you know, like we had a lot of uh, uh, discussions about this. Um, I, I think you know to be honest, um, it's. The data really tells the story. Uh, so you know, it's it, opinions are are nice, but at the end of the day, uh, CTAs are one of those things that um, can be tested fairly easily, um, assuming you have enough traffic. So if you can, if you have enough people coming to the site or or to the pricing page or the landing page or wherever you're testing your CTA, uh, you can you can set up A/B tests um, and you can literally you know like over time see which one is performing better. So. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a set of standard best practices. So, you know, like you have clear CTA, it's, it's, you know, like it's easily accessible. If you're talking about pricing plans or pricing pages, usually, especially if you have like three or four uh, plans, you know, like you, you have one that's highlighted and you say, you know, this is the mo most popular and, you know, like that, that, that CTA says buy now or, you know, like, et cetera. Uh, but again, like with, when it came to CTAs, um, most of the time, uh, you know, like we would pick two or three and we would just like A-B test the crap out of it. And and so I like picked the one that performed the best. Uh, so, um, and again, it, it, it really depends on which part of the funnel you're placing the CTA. So again, like, is this from the site visit to 
um, to entering the trial or, you know, like uh, booking a call or, you know, like starting a premium or is it, uh, you know, when you're, when you're purchasing, making that purchase decision. I think that um, one thing I can sort of like share with you is that um, one of the, some of the biggest gains that we had from revenue and monetization point of view at Format, because we did a lot of experiments, was within the checkout funnel. So again, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, like once the trial ended or, you know, it was about to end and somebody clicked that hit or, or buy now, the way we presented the plans, the way, you know, the, the, the screen flowed, uh, you know, adding the social proof, that any experiments or most of our successful experiments in that part of flow had the biggest impact on revenue. Uh, I remember one time we did this simple experiment where we reversed the order of plans. So we had least expensive to most expensive, and then we reversed it. So it was most expensive to least expensive. And that um, that had like 15% uh, increase in ARPA. So, you know, like it skewed the plan selection. But again, like it, that was a trivial experiment from the development point of view. Like it was, you know, like it was less than a day to implement. But again, like in terms of revenue from new customers, it bumped up revenue by 15%, which is huge. Uh, so, so again, like that's where we uh, saw the most gains in terms of um, experimentation. Yeah, love it. Yeah, awesome. Um, by the way, I think uh, all big companies, they usually test uh, a lot of testing. I remember when HubSpot shared study about uh, 200 different landing pages, you know, <laughs> to check out what actually works. So if you have huge audience, why not? You can create many landing pages to analyze which landing page provides better results and uh, jump with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, I, I think experimentation, again, like as long as you have the traffic, because uh, if you want to do it properly, you have to reach statistical significance, which means you have to have enough traffic coming to those pages. But if you do, then again, like there's no reason. I think that one thing that might be holding teams back, especially with, with uh, smaller organizations, is they just don't prioritize it. Um, in some cases, if they are VC backed, you know, like they, they have lots of funding, it might be all, you know, focused on growth and acquisition. Uh, so they might be ignoring, but again, like even then uh, experimentation can definitely help you acquire more customers, uh, not to mention with retention and monetization. So uh, again, like I think, um, yeah, I'm all for, for experimentation uh, and growth. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about mistakes. Uh, can you share a list of common mistakes uh, that companies usually do? Uh, because uh, you, we started our podcast with your story when you uh, has helped to grow company, you know, to monetize much uh, more. Uh, from your experience, what uh, mistakes companies still do and uh, how to avoid them? Yeah, I think the number one mistake is um, when... When companies uh, start scaling, so I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, again, like once a company finds product market fit, um, but before, you know, like raising series B or C, uh, they're in this sort of like scaling mode where maybe they've, you know, like they've raised a seed, seed found uh, round or, you know, like maybe series A round, or maybe they're bootstrapping and again, like they're already hitting like five, five million in revenue. Uh, mm -hmm. one of the biggest mistakes is again, like, uh, they neglect pricing and packaging. Um, and the reason for that is because pricing and packaging is one of those things that doesn't have a clear owner in an org chart. Um, and I've, I've spoken to probably hundreds of different founders where, and I've asked the same question. I'm like, who, who owns your pricing and packaging? And almost, you know, like almost every time it's, it's a little different. Like sometimes it was the founder who, or the CEO who, who set the original pricing. 
Uh, sometimes it's the marketing team. Uh, sometimes, God forbid, it's the sales team. And you know, <laughs> and I say God forbid because you know the sales team is uh, the worst department or team to own pricing because they're not incentivized to optimize for uh, for so like maximum revenue. They just they just want to close deals, collect commission. Uh, so they'll do anything to discount to you know like to to uh, to win the customer. Um, so one of the, again, like one of the main challenges, it, it just doesn't have a clear owner. Um, and at the three companies uh, where I worked as a product, every time I, I joined, it was the same problem. Again, like nobody really owned it. Uh, the product team was not involved and I would put up my hand and I'd be like, oh, you know, can I, can I start running with pricing and packaging? And it was amazing the, the amount of impact that I had every time I, you know, like I started uh, owning and contributing to pricing. And in every case, it was all different. So at, um, at Tulip, for instance, again, like a much larger enterprise B2B SaaS company uh, compared to format. Uh, but, you know, like one of the one of the challenges was, again, like there was too much discounting uh, by the sales team. Uh, every deal looked a little different. Uh, so I, I basically aligned with the CEO saying, hey, listen, every deal uh, or every contract that we put in front of a prospect has to go through me and the finance team. So that's how I learned a lot about pricing and packaging because I would see all these contracts and I'll be like, all right, you know, like if we're pricing it per store or per location, you know, like we, and we're discounting here, you know, like we need to increase the commitment. So, you know, like we'll give you a discount, but you have to commit for two years. We have to commit for the X number of stores. <clears throat> so that taught me a lot about, you know, how to structure uh, deals. And again, like, those were massive impacts. So like, you know, the contract value could increase from, you know, like a million dollars to a million and a half. Uh, so again, like, I think that's, so going back to your original question. So like, what's the biggest mistake that uh, early stage companies make? I think it's, um, they don't pay enough attention to pricing and packaging uh, because there's no clear owner and it often is not a priority for them. Um, and they're literally leaving money on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, valuable. Got it. Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, pricing. Uh, yeah. Not about pricing, it's more about, you know, uh, I have the question, for example, uh, I remember from one marketing book that uh, customers can change their hard-earned money uh, with products if they believe that uh, these products cost more than their money. So can you tell how to provoke this feeling? Because you mentioned about pricing, about, uh, uh, yeah, how to provoke the feeling that our products are much better than their money. Yeah, so, I mean, ultimately, what you're, what you're selling when, you, when you're pricing is value. So you have to consider, like, what, what value uh, are you delivering to your customers? Um, whether you're a B2B or B2C company. Uh, now, B2B, I think, is a little bit easier because there's fundamentally three types of values that you provide as, um, as a software company. Um, the first one is uh, helping you save, save money or, or time. Uh, the second one is um, helping you reduce uh, risks. Uh, the third one is helping you uh, uh, generate more revenue. So you, you have to... So I'll, I'll, I'll use B2B as an example. So again, like... Uh, you have to, when you're pricing your product as a B2B uh, software company, you have to so like figure out which, which value are you delivering? If it's saving, uh, saving time, for instance, you know, like if you're, um, I don't know, project management company and you, you're making your team more efficient uh, because again, like they're instead of using email or, or just stack, again, like everything is well organized. 
and every project they save, you know, a hundred dollars or, you know, like you, you can sort of like almost calculate how much money they're saving because they're more efficient because of your product. That's really the value that you're delivering to them. Now, the thing you have to consider is you're the next best alternative. So like if they weren't using your project management tool to save time and money uh, to be more efficient, what, what would they be doing? Uh, so in that case, again, like, would they be just using uh, Slack and an email or would they, uh, you know, like what's the next, or would they be using monday.com uh, as an example? So you, you have to take those factors into consideration. So again, like what value are you providing uh, to, to, to your users? And then how do you stack against um, your, your next best alternative? Whether it's a direct competitor or indirect competitor, like like I said, uh, Slack or or, or email, uh, then then so like depending on the next best alternative, you can start thinking about you know like how do you um, how do you want to position yourself? Do you position yourself as a premium brand? So it's like okay, you know everything about my brand, you know like the way it looks, the way it feels, the way the product behaves is a little bit more premium than the, than the next best alternative. You can actually charge or co command a premium price um, uh, for your products. So, you know, like Apple versus Android, right? The whole brand, like, you know, you, you could argue Apple has more features or is better, but, you know, like at the end of the day, like a lot of them are fairly comparable, but Apple can justify higher pricing because of the brand. So again, or you're, you know, on the flip side, you could be, you know, like a no frills brand where you're undercutting. So you, you're always the cheaper alternative. So you save. So I, I think those are like the three main components is like the, the value that you provide. Um, again, like your, your uh, next best alternative. So who are you competing against and how are you positioning yourself from this strategy point of view? Like, do you want to be a premium brand? Do you want to sort of like align with your competitors or you want to be the no frills brand? Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, okay, can you tell me uh, what uh, Apple can use, you know, to convince me to buy uh, more expensive products? <laughs> because, you know, I have iPhone, uh, Apple Watch, MacBook, all my family have only Apples. Uh, and yeah. Uh, I think they're, I think they're they... already doing a good job then. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, okay, uh, what kind of uh, benefits to provide to customers or create this brand loyalty to uh, sell uh, more expensive products? I mean, like uh, compared to others, because I think Android is good. Many uh, other companies, brands are good, but Apple has more than 50% of all market share in the US. Uh, in I mean, like in smartphone market. Uh, can you tell more about brand loyalty, how to create this feeling? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm, to, to be honest, I'm not a marketer. Uh, so, but you know, like mm -hmm. watching what, and I, I'm an Apple's guy too. I, you know, like I, I have most of my hardware is Apple, um, and I think again, like a lot of this starts with the brand itself. Um, so again, like, mm -hmm. and you know, this started with Steve Jobs, and and so like how he positioned the brand as you know, like this excellent experience, simple yet powerful, um, and from that brand, uh, you know, like the products and the way they do the releases and everything kind of follows that brand. So I think it really starts at the top. Now, now the pricing is sort of like easy uh, after you've done those steps, because now you have, you know, like this powerful brand uh, with really powerful stories, uh, as, as you mentioned before. Uh, so once you have those components and you have that marketing machine going um, and, you know, the, your product team and your R&D team is sort of like, aligning their products and their, their, their releases to that brand, 
then it's easy. So like, you know, you sort of like price accordingly because you can, because you've done that work. You can't really do it the other way around. You can't just like price something really high and, you know, say, okay, now, now, now let's see if we can back into it. Uh, so you really have to start with sort of like at the top. And I think brand is, is really important. You know, like Android doesn't, maybe it's because it's so, you know, like it's just a different business model. It's not, you know, like owned by one company, you know, like it's, it's more of a, you know, there's many different manufacturers and, you know, Google is involved. Maybe it's because they don't have sort of like that, that control over the brand, or maybe again, like part of it is, you know, they just, they choose to be so like the, the, the sort of like lower priced alternative or like alternative uh, that doesn't have sort of like that, that same, same, same sort of like brand loyalty. But again, like I'm, I'm not a branding guy, but I would say that's where you want to start. And in fact, a lot of clients that we work with is like, Hey, you know, like we, we actually speak to their marketing team and, and their, their, their executive teams. And it's like, okay, how do you want to position yourself as, as, uh, as a, as a brand? Because that will impact your pricing again. Like, do you want to be premium? Do you want to be sort of like on par with your competitors or do you want to be the no frills brand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, John, I have the question about, uh, uh, how to learn today about, um, uh monetization more uh, for example let's imagine you have no experience knowledge skills anything you didn't help companies to grow their revenue a lot to get this crazy uh, money can you tell what will you do today if you need to start from scratch and learn more about monetization yeah so the good the good news is you know there's a lot more um, there's a lot more resources out there than there ever was before <clears throat> um, especially you know like if you're working on a product team so, you know, like if you're looking for free resources, um, Lenny's newsletter has excellent set of resources. I, uh, so Lenny is very much involved in the community. He has a, a newsletter that's free. There's a paid option. Uh, he also does podcasts with a lot of thought leaders. Uh, he has a Slack group. So, you know, like that's sort of like on the more affordable side. If you're looking to um, so like uh, get... A little bit, or if you if you have the budget, uh, you can take Reforge. Uh, so Reforge um, offers a lot of courses. One of them is on on monetization. Uh, it's I think it's a six or eight week course. Um, so and they bring in uh, really the industry leaders um, to to sort of like help and teach that course. So uh, again, like depending on your budget, I would say Lenny's newsletter is sort of like a good place to start. Uh, lots of good resources and links. Um, if you have more money, you can uh, you can take a Reforge course. And the good thing about Reforge is they are very uh, they bring a lot of people together. Uh, so once you take that course, you make a lot of connections and so like compare notes with peers and and you can share stories, ask for advice. Uh, so I would recommend both. Nice, nice, love it. Uh, okay, I have the final question. Uh, can you predict the future of uh, marketing? Uh, I mean, like uh, the future of monetization, marketing, because, you know, many things are coming like Metaverse, uh, Web3.0. What kind of future uh, can you see? And uh, uh, what uh, it's better to do today to adapt to uh, the possible future? So, yeah, this, I'll, I'll give you a couple. So one is just, you know, like, especially given the economic situation we're in, I think a lot more companies will be under pressure to pay more attention to revenue and monetization. So, you know, like when, when VC money is flowing, when there's lots of funding, 
you know, like, it's okay, you know, like, we'll just focus on growth and we'll figure out how to make money off of those users later on. That story doesn't really compute or is not as compelling when, when again, the economy is in a bit of a downturn. So short term, I, I think you'll see a lot more companies um, sort of like paying attention. In fact, there was a survey um, on, on Saster uh, where 50%, over 54% of uh, B2B SaaS companies said they would be raising prices next year. And some of these companies like HubSpot had never ris risen prices before. So again, like uh, you'll see a lot more companies paying attention to monetization and pricing over the next um, couple of years, I think. Uh, and the second prediction is um, with the rise of product-led growth. Uh, so, you know, like more and more companies offering uh, going after users before, um, you know, like getting people to buy the product. So whether it's a free uh, trial or freemium uh, offering, I think you'll see a bigger, bigger shift um, to um, from monetization being owned by product teams versus just sales teams. Um, so historically, you know, like the product team would build a product, uh, the marketing team would, you know, like find audience for it. And then the sales team would actually uh, drive their revenue. But again, like now that uh, a lot of companies like Zoom or, 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 or Slack have people entering the product through through those freemium uh, channels or free free trials, um, product teams, so whether it's CPO, head of product, have a lot more influence over um, over what how much revenue they can gain, you know, because they control um, that journey um, of of you know like the user journey, but also like the activation and as well as the checkout journey. Um, and then there's like an interesting cross between, you know, like at what point do you hand over this account that signed up for free with a bunch of users to the sales team? So this is where you, you know, start getting into PQLs, um, you know, product qualified leads and, you know, like uh, making sure you involve your sales team at the right point and that they have the right touch points with not only users, but different influencers within the organization. Uh, so again, like the two predictions are, uh, again, like around uh, product growth uh, and more uh, more product or product ownership of revenue uh, or uh, shift shifting uh, and then the second one is again like short term we'll see a lot more pe uh, companies paying attention to monetization nice nice love it john it's a big pleasure to get on the yeah, show to learn from you <laughs> tell our audience how they can reach out to you learn more about you follow yeah, you yeah so i'm pretty uh, pretty active on linkedin uh, so just uh, uh, hit me up on linkedin uh, connect with me um, or a direct message me. Uh, I spend, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost there every every day. So LinkedIn is sort of like my go-to uh, social platform right now. Okay, guys, you can find uh, the link to LinkedIn profile uh, in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Welcome back anytime to share more value. Guys, you need to follow Jen, uh, John. You can see a lot of valuable insights. Okay, guys, love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.